I'm Mitch Owens, the AD Aesthete, and welcome to the podcast. No matter where you go, there's always something to see. That's something that the American decorator Mark Hampton once told me, and it's a guiding principle, creatively and otherwise, to many designers and architects armed with smartphones as they scour the globe in search of inspiring ideals. That includes Hampton's daughter, Alexa Hampton, and Stephen Gamble, both of whom are AD 100 honorees, two frequent travelers who always return home with snapshots of everything from door hinges to marble steps and often using them as springboards in their commissions. I hope you enjoy the show. Many years ago, more than I wish to admit to, I had a great lunch with Alexa's father, Mark Hampton, and I have never been put in my place so elegantly, um, <laughs> but with, with such um, inspiration than I was, I was complaining about, gently complaining, I hope, about going to Dayton, Ohio on a uh, assignment for the New York Times, where I then worked, and I must have rolled my eyes because your father tilted his head down and looked over his glasses at me and said, no matter where you go, there's always something to see. And that made me, made me feel instantly humbled, but it also made me think a lot about um, asking you and Stephen to be part of this podcast, because I, I know that that's actually what designers and architects do whenever they travel, whether it's for business or for pleasure, and that both of you are constantly taking photographs of details that make it into your own work, either as a jumping off point or as a point of replication. And that's sort of one of the things I'd really like to talk about. And, and you know, the, the first thing I suppose is, um, Alexa, where have you been of late where you've taken an enormous amount of pictures that you think are going to make it into your, your product lines or your interior oh, design work? Well, yeah, they're not always for product lines, but Spain on Sunday night where I whisked my children for Thanksgiving as a hater of Thanksgiving. I know that's so bad. I just can't stand it. But um, I, I, the reason why I love photographing details, besides the fact that they are so beautiful and one can cull from them, there's another story about my father, which I will stop doing after this one because I know I'm 100 years old and still talking about my daddy. But... We were once working on a great project at 740 Park, and he was working with the draftsmen for the architecture of the front hall, and there was a, a double pilaster on a shared massive plinth. And my father, who had a, a very good memory for details he had seen, was very troubled because it looked unprecedented. And he said to James, the draftsman with whom they, he was devising this, he's like, James, you know, it just seems so unprecedented. And James said, well, it is a ditchly. To which my father responded, ditchly? Why didn't you say so? <laughs> so, so those kinds of, there, there's something about seeing things that are tried and true, also in their original context, which which empower a designer because you know it's been done and done successfully and done i guess properly in in yeah. ways i mean i know one of the things Stephen and i were both guests on a trip 
arranged by the ICAA in Ireland to look at Irish country houses uh, about a month ago. And I was so intrigued by watching everyone around me taking pictures of details, but especially Stephen and uh, the architect Phil Leiterbach, who yep. at one point were shut the rest of us out in the best possible way. We were at a house and there was a wood front door pull and suddenly uh-huh. they honed in on it like it was a nugget of gold and that we'd yeah. somehow all overlooked it. And not only were they photographing it, they were photographing it from every angle possible. Yeah. So it was a nugget. It was a 3D printer near you. It was a, nu- yeah, it was a, it was a nugget of gold because um, what it really was was something that we're going to probably end up using in an apartment in Chicago. And what's interesting about it is that it was made of wood. So it was a wooden doorknob. But it also had, although it was probably 18th century, it had a funny sort of uh, 20th century quality to it. it. I wouldn't say deco, but it fit this project. And so, I don't know, unlike the pilasters at Ditchley, I, I sometimes like when it feels so wrong that it's right. But you've, but you've, seen, it, you've seen it sing to you, which is so great. I remember being at a house with you, Stephen, at another ICAA event. And I, too, have taken that Ireland trip with the ICAA. But we were looking at this beautiful house that Stephen had designed. And he pointed out these gorgeous doors that were, you know, totally bespoke for the clients. And he said he had been influenced by the Doge's Palace in Venice. And because I love going on these trips and taking details, I immediately went to my Venice album on my phone and, and was able to say to him, these doors? <laughs> yeah, like, yep, it's almost like being doors. it's almost be like being caught caught like caught in the act. So Alexa pulls up the doors and I'm like, yeah. So then suddenly no, no, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have guessed it if you hadn't told me because I was too busy being soaking in the gorgeousness of what you had done. But now how, here's the question. But how though. hilarious is it when someone looks at those doors and says, you know, oh, my God, however did you come up with that? <laughs> but what what was what was different in the interpretation of the original doors and the doors in your client's house? Was there? A difference of material, a difference of finish, a difference of scale? Well, so the original doors are, first of all, they're ancient now. I mean, I suppose they're, what, from the 1600s? 1500s, probably, 1540s or something. Um, Anyway, they're all inlaid, and they're inlaid in different kinds of exotic woods. And then there's a funny detail... It has a black frame, and there's a funny detail where it almost looks like the woods being celebrated as art, and so that was what I was intrigued by. By, by it's basically by book matching um, mm. grain, and so I was staring at these doors, and I was thinking how modern they felt, even though I realized that mm-hmm. they were obviously old. And then fast forward, looking for inspiration for doors that are going to be extraordinary, something that's going to be really, really extraordinary. I thought, well, you know, the one thing that's always been regarded as, 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 you know, bespoke and extraordinary would be this inlaid work. So one of the things that I found intriguing about the original doors was that they had patina, and the patina had made the doors sort of more humble and more palatable. And so the original inspiration, which wasn't meant to be, was this patina. And now my challenge was, how am I going to take this inspiration, make it into something that feels modern and relevant, and also inscribe the patina that it needed so it didn't feel too Mm. slick Um, but anyways it was an interesting thing but what's most fun is is when your colleague comes along and and knows the reference which is something that happens phil and i play the reference war where i'll look at something (laughs) i'll look at one of his projects and i'll be like oh wow so you went to castletown interesting Uh 
<laughs> but um, I like that idea but, of looking at something that's, for want of a better word at this moment, for these particular doors that have a classical underpinning that, that are the definition of, of like, say, classicism or, or Baroque or Rococo or something, but still manage to have a modern feeling about it, either in terms of sort of the swagger of the scale or details like that. And I wonder, Alexa, are you attracted to that sort of transference over time when you're looking at details? Do you like Schinkel? Absolutely. Exactly. Do you like Schinkel? Alexa, do you like Schinkel? I'm sorry. Everybody knows I like Schinkel. (laughs) I should get a tattoo that says, you know, heart Schinkel instead of, you know, mom or pop on my shoulder. Um, I'm all Schinkel all the time. And I I get very upset when I see Schinkel next to his more Baroque counterparts on Unter der Linden because that is not my speed. Um, Just like actually when I'm in Ireland, I love Irish Regency. But when I look up at those plaster ceilings, not my bag. I'm almost embarrassed to admit it. But um, even anyway, the big, the gonna... big fussy ones I like. You don't like the big, like that one at Rustboro. That's a made that staircase. Oh. I think they're. Yeah, I don't. I'm Although terrible. that's a, you know <laughs> what? What's really you know what's really interesting about that comment you made is that I love those big, robust plaster walls at Rustboro on the staircase. But what's weird about it is I, that's the only detail that I've never been able to figure out how to use. So although I photographed on a cake it, would be my suggestion. <laughs> what is it? Wedding cake. On a cake. Frosting. Yeah. Well, so weirdly, you're right. That's something that's not worth photographing. We should delete those pictures. Yeah, delete them immediately. Okay. Uh, but I, I've always, you know, my, my twin loves are design and language. You know, I love grammar. I love vocabulary. I love hearing what, you know, what the, the source of certain words are, which is not to say I have the greatest vocabulary in the world. I just find it interesting. So what we're talking about here is how language, you know, it's like how language morphs and how, you know, the modern day vernacular has appropriated other words from from many years ago and just reinvested it with a new meaning. So back to Stephen's doors, you don't walk in and think there's these huge lurking quotation marks hanging around these doors. They've very much been imbued with a modern and bespoke sensibility, but there's that through line that make that, that your your dog brain understands that it's still part of the language. It, it makes for a much more complex language, and it makes you want to come back for more. So instead of a, a pure, clean, you know, 21st century house or room, you, you want something that's complex and layered. And I think that that vocabulary that you speak of, that language, when, it, when you travel, you bring back all those different dialects. And, um, and it's really, really compelling. And it's not necessary to, to translate it and to try to figure out where it came from, but it's, 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 it's a really compelling way to live. Yeah, you, you register it. Like I was telling Mitch the other day that I have a light fixture back to product line that is definitely a reference to Ghiberti's back to doors, his Gates of Paradise in Florence at the Baptistry. So there are, there are shapes that we might know and love and they they sneak their way into things that we do whether or not they're traditional absolutely i mean one of the most uh, intriguing travel stories for me was i was in india which is you know a place that really blows your mind it's truly outrageous and i was in new delhi so i was completely you know kind of 
full of that flavor of of India, which is you know chaos and beauty uh-huh. wrapped in misery, and it's it's compelling. And we went to New Delhi and started looking at some of the buildings by Luchans. Oh, and those are um, incredible. Yeah, and so suddenly <clears throat> you see a sheer genius who is English, but is somehow trying to figure out what India uh-huh. means to him back in when he's when he's you know designing there. And um, I, right, adapting I, I, for context. Adapting for context. So I go in this building, and the light is flooding through these giant windows. And I'm thinking, well, that's something obviously that he learned from being in India because it's mm-hmm. not it's not in Georgian England. And yet the house was decidedly classical. But what was incredible about it was that all the big cornices and door frame casings were basically. English Georgian casings that had been so exaggerated that the light was getting trapped between all of the pieces. And he was playing with light and shadow because he knew he could, because he knew the light was really, really strong there. And I was so beyond mesmerized that I took my um, notebook and I started folding the edges of the paper around the casing so I could take a basically have a profile which I then (laughs) quickly came back to the United States and completely replicated and used to this day although we don't always have the same light in New York but anyway it's really beautiful what's sad to think well it's funny actually that story also talks a lot about imposing culture on another culture. And I know some of the Lechens buildings that you're talking about in India, I remember the one with the great statue of Victoria in front of it. And now, of course, that statue's gone and dismantled for, you know, everything it represents. But it's it's interesting to see that cultural domination in in places to enforce the connection between the ruling I'm getting a little off topic, but anyway. No, no, well, but, I, but I understand no, but, what you but mean. There, but there is a very that's that's a great podcast story because one of the things that's really compelling about our architecture and design are are, are references that that have uh, political angst or um, very sad histories yeah. affiliated with them. There's great houses, or even happy like the Palazzo Vecchio in in Florence is built with a crenellated top to look like a fortress but of course it's not it it was not a fortress at all but as you came in from the road from rome you were supposed it was supposed to have an intimidating effect you know it was just for effect that's the only reason they did it and then no building after it was built was allowed to come close to it in height so that it could still have this imposition so all of these these details that we pick up when we travel they're, they've got so many meetings that we can just like pick and choose which meaning we're interested in. Well, picking. that's what keeps the language alive. Well, one thing also that's interesting about what you just said is is that in terms of validation, there are times I think when we're a bit timid to design things that seem uh, superfluous or extravagant or overly embellished or overly rich. Take for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you're right. And um, and so. What's nice is when you travel and you realize that a culture was creating references to the past or they were creating cultural details that establish the fact that they're a strong family or that they're, yeah. you know. And I mean, that's a, it's actually a really great thing to do. You travel and then you come back with these details and you figure out which parts can be informative and, and what, what parts are probably aspirational. And any of those things is better than arbitrary. 
Absolutely. You know, arbitrariness, you know, being different and this and that and the other just for the sake of being different. I mean, if it's beautiful, great. I'm all for it. But if it's just random for the sake of newness, that kind of makes me bilious. Right. Right. Well, that's what uh, Mitch and I were talking about earlier. One of the real true components to all these house tours that I go on are what I call back of house. And um, although it's always nice to see a beautiful cornice in a drawing room, it's the back of house that really, really is exciting. And, and it's the way that that door that takes a lot of abuse has a brass edge on it where all the abuse, you know, is, is keeping the wood from chipping. Or uh-huh. that stone kind of detail at the carriage house door where things are going to be rolling into it. So the stone is strong and curved. And that curve, you know, is softened on the bottom. And you look at that detail and you think, oh, my my God, like I, I have to have right. that. That's or, amazing. Yeah, or, or that house we went to where the the front doors were these beautiful Georgian, I mean, incredibly elegant doors. And on the inside was this lock that must have been, it was. It looked medieval. I mean, it could have withheld Viking attacks. I mean, it was this huge <laughs> thing, like a, like a foot and a half by a foot and a half and full of studs. And you you didn't quite understand what it was. We were wondering, I, I posited, what, could it have been installed during the Troubles? You no, know, to, I think to keep it out, but it yeah. was just amazing to me. I think it's Alexis's uh, crinolated top on a yep. later building. I think it was a reference to the stronghold of the family. Just like you see these early safes and they have bolts all over them in details, and those bolts are not to keep it harder to get mm-hmm. into. It's more of a reference of we're a strong family and our front door is like the right, stronghold. And also, obviously, locks. But it's it's. Uh, but I love that reference, and I, I wish we were. Well, see, little... I'd love to see that in a house now. Yeah. In a house being done at this moment. I mean, Stephen and I have talked about the Irish trip as well as at other times. I'm riveted by back of house as well, but a particularly service buildings, old laundries, um, old uh, somebody, you know, somebody dairy. Somebody called them apostrophes. Yes, apostrophes. Oh, that's, exactly. That's very Phil Lederbach. I'd never, maybe it was he, because it's he was on gotta be him. Well. I, I, I loved that. I thought that was so cool. The, the apostrophes leading to the dependencies. He also says, let's quote that detail. Uh, yeah. Phil, but I, but I love how, love how meaningful the details feel in these spaces that today we don't take the same degree of care or pride in in the creation of them. Well, not that many of us have dairies anymore, but you know what I mean. Well, actually, the coolest projects that I get to work on, including the one that Alexa went to, they didn't care where I spent the efforts or money to get the details right. So, for example, the staff kitchen has, you know, like a poured terrazzo floor that rolls up the wall, which it doesn't need to, but it's just such a beautiful detail. And it's it's obviously a, a reference to, you know, utility and to cleanliness and all that. But what it really is, yeah. it's just a beautiful detail with these nickel kind of inset bands. And what's really great is that as you walk through these projects, be it new or old, the references to utility end up being really as exciting as the references to culture. So although there's great art or great uh, historical pieces of house, it's it's that back of house that I find so compelling. It's I think it's because it it's real. It's the stuff you actually use. Well, what you just said about details revealing their function, but then being elevated to be even more beautiful, so then they're just an object of beauty, is, of course, like the perfect description of a crown molding. I was once giving a talk with a wonderful modernist architect 
who said, you know, Crown Moldings was band-aid to keep the seams of the walls and the ceiling covered so that if there's any wonk, you know, it's covered. And so so he despised them because he felt it was it was um, embracing uh, imprecise construction. And you went but at him I, like a Valkyrie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love the idea that, yes, there's this need to attach the planes to look precise and that time has passed so much that now we they're almost freed from their actual need and are just this beautiful detail. Yeah. Much like when you were saying the terrazzo are going up the walls just to be, you know, washed downable. I, I love it when it's just so beautiful that it supersedes your your intellectual comprehension of its use. Yeah, I mean, that crown that you speak of often has a little detail on the edge that kind of rolls down, and that's a drip line so that as the water rolls off the roof of a classical building, it's dripping, it's it's not going onto the wall, it's dripping down that edge. And so uh, I love when, uh, we're des- when we're designing crowns for, you know, interiors, and we're using that drip line, that's just like a reference that's so old and so not necessary but there's something beautiful about it and why do we find beauty in that but it's, it's i think salute. it's utility it's a salute to to everything that has come before yeah and it's definitely something based on utility i mean obviously the whole classical order is based on on construction details um, and utility about holding things up and um, but that's what i'm intrigued about when when we traveled it could be anywhere i was saying to mitch earlier that you know, sometimes I'm I'm almost bashful about taking a picture because I'm in you know the basement of a of a right. you know building, and some super is looking at me as I'm taking pictures of red pipes that say hot and they're stenciled in black, and I'm thinking, oh my god, that's such a beautiful font, and the guy must think I'm trying to figure out how to how to turn the hot water off, but it's um it's you never know where it's going to happen. Alexa, yeah. what are some of the things you saw in Spain? Over your anti-Thanksgiving well, Thanksgiving. Well, a lot of my, we were just, we were there for the blink of an eye. Obviously, I was at the Prado, where you're not allowed to have photographs taken. But there I knew was there was a, a but, but. But. Yeah, and that's a pocket. huge but. I mean, so I'm with my kids. I can't, you know, obviously, Prado was a two-day affair and, like, two full days. And we had to take ours down to a two-and-a-half-hour tour. And we always get a tour guide, so... Because, you know, I, I said I wouldn't mention my father again, but I'm so used to having, like, an ongoing lecture in my ear. <laughs> Without it, I'm lost. So I couldn't take pictures, but that there was also a beauty to that because it really made me focus on, you know, sometimes you spend so much time looking through a lens. I have to, I have to remind myself to put my, my camera down and just enjoy it. So enjoy it, I did. Um... And I, I spent a lot of time eating ham, and I did photograph it. They were hanging from the wall yeah, when they weren't in our mouths. Right, because that's pretty extraordinary yeah. as well. See, whereas in that Everyone instance, I would be looking at the hooks. Too. The hooks, How were yeah. the hooks shaped? We'd be, like, we'd be looking at the hooks. Yeah, were they handmade? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I know this about you and Phil, is that you both are hardware crazy. Hardware crazy. I, I know this about you. It's a problem. It's known. <laughs> yeah, I have a dealer now for my addiction, and it's gotten really bad. So he makes everything custom to the point where, you know, I'm like, oh, do I have to use that merit hinge? I want custom. And, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then it becomes just a, a, a obscene. <clears throat> and every client knows it coming in. They're, they know the hardware budget's going to be a problem. 
but I love it so. But I love the way you had said earlier to me about, Stephen, about taking, let's say, the idea of a hinge, of seeing the detail on a hinge, and that's what becomes the impetus for something that feels modern but still feels grounded in a historical vocabulary, historical weight. Yeah, and it's 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 absolutely extraordinary. So a hinge is is not a big object, but you can literally pull one out, and you can find out the reference. So many references to the weight of the door, what period it's from, um, how has it been adjusted over the years? What what part is decorative? I mean, why is that little piece of metal between the two butts of a hinge an opportunity to create beauty? I, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's fascinating. But that's the that's the place that you know we've been really playing with that funny little piece there, and 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 the butt of the hinge is a great opportunity to chamfer the edges and and create something. And the minute you chamfer the edges, does that become too deco? You know, and those are the kind of mm-hmm. stories and then of course you know Phil will say did you see how they put the screws horizontal I mean how would the water ever drip through the the slot if it's horizontal everyone knows that the slot has to be vertical because otherwise the, the water wouldn't drip <laughs> through the slot properly and it would gather and it would rust and I'm like oh another genius how lovely to have have him have him in my life I love him <laughs> It is great, though. It's like a big puzzle. Uh, And then we get to look at these beautiful places, take pictures, and then reassemble the puzzle in some other shape when we get home. Yeah, I I think it's the the assembling of the shape. I mean, I also, um, what excites me about traveling and looking at details, and I don't do anything with them. I just store them on the phone. Um, I was just in Finland, and I love vernacular architecture. I love a vernacular expression of an, an existing popular theme so to see like finnish art nouveau which is called national romanticism is the most amazing thing in the world the hinges to go to I hinges hate again to admit it i hate art nouveau but this doesn't look like it at all it just okay, looked good. like it looked like a fairy tale Phew. no it just looked like fairy tales where you would see an oriel window and it was being held up by a giant stone frog And this sort of craziness, and I had to give a lecture, and I was in the middle of enthusing about this building with the stone frog, and afterwards everyone said, you know, I know that building's here, but we don't look at it that much anymore. And (laughs) I I thought that was sort of what excites me about vernacular, is the strangeness. It's like the detour from the highway. Now, did you put that on Instagram? Because I need to I think I did put that on Instagram. Okay, good. But that sort of, again, that that sort of, and, and in that instance, it's like you and Stephen talking about taking something and then making it new. This is culturally taking an architectural and uh, decorative style in Paris and making it work for Finland, but it doesn't look at all like its original inspiration. Well, that right. ma- it reminds me of, a tr- I mean, I've been to Milan many, many times, but every time I go, my, my head explodes because it's kind of like the history of the world. Um, it's not only the history yeah. of the world architecturally, but it's also the, the, the times. So you, you can walk down the street and, and obviously there's great ancient things, but then you see something from 1930 and yeah. you can't even believe, not only is it wildly beautiful and, and, and uh, toned, edited, distilled, um, distilled classicism, but 
It also celebrates all the great stones that they find in that region of the world. And um, another one of my obsessions. And, um, you know, and not only that, but it's relevant. So I look at these things and I think, oh, God, this totally appeals to the contemporary eye. Listening to both of you, it's as if you could not do your job at all without just drinking the whole world in with your eyes when you're traveling. It's just impossible. Mr. Gambrell said to me once that he tells his clients, can I tell a story to you? Of course. He said to his clients, they're like, what, you're going on another trip? And he turned to them and said, without my trip, you don't get your house. Yeah, I said, be careful where you send me, because, you know, I'm going to Ireland, so who knows what's coming home with me? Like, without that spark and that inspiration and those, like, beautiful custom moments, you know, those are the things that that are the grace notes. Yeah. And it's seeing them in person. Yeah, he said, you're going on a trip? Now we've got so much to do. And I said, really? I mean, you should be paying me to go on this trip because I'm going to come home with extraordinary details yeah. and, and excitement, really, enthusiasm for your project. I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. I, I love like, it. Oh I think God, it's terrific. Well, it hasn't worked that well. They're, they're still not paying me to go travel, but, you know. <laughs> but it's worth but, but they're, they're, they're probably appreciating I do have to design an Irish pub for East Hampton in the lower level of a house. So, you know, at least I was able to go to Ireland. Yeah, you were doing research. Exactly. exactly. So, um, Alexa, can we talk a little bit more about some of the collections that just came out and your inspiration behind some of the pieces I know you mentioned the is it the, a lamp or a lantern I love Mudehar inspira- uh, inspiration um, when I was 16 I went on a father daughter trip to Ireland and to Spain and uh, the Casa de Pilatos in Sevilla has remained like a major love of mine so actually it's not well it was a product but it was a totally custom product i wanted for a kids bay show house that was in the villard house i wanted to do something that made me think of a tiled room and there was no way i could do a tiled room in six weeks so we digitally printed a bespoke tile design and then printed it in squares and rotated the squares so that there was enough wonk that it might appear to be a tile room but I think, you know, going and looking at a house and being inspired and saying, okay, how can I do this in this modern age and make it a reference without a duplication is totally what what I was hoping to do. But in my product lines, I've got, you know, Indian-inspired with a Mughal arch uh, mirror. I've got plenty of Empire and Regency references because that is a very happy place. As you know, I'm married to a Greek, so... No short of, of Greek references. I remember that I wall covering. I thought that was brilliant. I said to you once that someone had told me, a client had said to me, reflecting, you know, you go to a French room and everything is French. Every stick of furniture is French. You go to an English room and you might have a French chair, or some French pieces in there with the English pieces. And what I love about American design is sky's the limit. As long as it looks good and it's beautiful and it can still be historical, but we are in no way confined to where those inspirations come from. No, and, and that's like that's the other part of travel. Article. 
I mean, that's that's the other part of, tra of travel, which is so compelling. So these houses obviously um, changed over time, and it's the mix, it's the uh, the different cultures that that clash and, 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 and combine beautifully that get us excited. So when you said Villanecki in, in Milan, what's compelling about that house is that it's actually not the original intent of the original architect and designer that you're so intrigued by. It's the fact that after the war, they brought in antiques and they brought in pieces from other cultures to try to mitigate their political situation through art and architecture and decorating. And so, I mean, how cool is that? You mean to soften the fascism of it? Yes. And how cool oh, is that? so interesting. Well, it, well originally it didn't have um, 18th and 19th century furniture. Um, By the way, one of my card tables in my furniture collection is a total Villanecki cartel. Okay, well, so the only c catch to that <laughs> is you need to sell them in pairs because <laughs> Villanecki has two card tables and in the living room, which almost threw me into some kind of crazy moan. And then I came back, and now there's a house in Bridgehampton that has two card tables on either side of the room when you walk through, purely stolen um, or quoted by, Phil would say, from Villanecki. So you should sell those card tables in, in pairs. I, I, would, I would like to sell them in by the dozen. Exactly. <laughs> we'll see. But even like the bathrooms in Villanecki, the way the tile goes up the wall and then stops in the middle of an oculus oh and the marble is like four ah. inches thick it's crazy so cool. it's the best so cool. oh yeah, although i, I will have there is the one cautionary tale though in in some magazine i won't say which one there's a recent project and i won't say whose and there's a pair of doors <laughs> that are so overly quoted from villanecki that i was just dis disappointed i was like really was it addressed no, and I, I was I, like, I would love to take that. So, so the idea is that it was that, it was too precise. It was too team. precise. It was too literal. It was the kind of thing that you're like, really? I think too many people have been there, and I think they should have taken that idea and maybe twisted it a little bit. Adapted. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to try not to copy blatantly in front of you. Well, I don't mind as long as it's a card table. <laughs> <laughs> and a good one. But I do think that's a really important point, which has been a, a through line in this conversation, is taking an idea and making it new, but still referencing and respecting what came before. Yeah. And sure. that, that's, that's, a, that's not an easy you know, uh, tightrope walk. No. It's exciting, though. It's fun to you try but these things out. It's much easier for Americans than for others. Say that again. People expect the mix, right? And we don't we don't have pure ownership. Of, I mean, unless yeah, not even a Pembroke table. There's nothing that you can look at unless it's a Barker lounger, and say you know this is purely American with no reference to anything else. Certainly not architecturally. I mean, you you just simply there's simply nothing that's original here, which is a good thing. But every every house references something from somewhere else. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant thing to say because it's it says not only so much about the buildings, but the interiors, but the people, the culture, the nation, that whole melting potness of of picking and choosing and making them work together. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. And I, making it feel new. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we talk a lot about when we are designing houses in one region, say the Hamptons, is that there's a very big difference between the vernacular of a house in Southampton versus one in East Hampton versus one in Sag Harbor. And although we don't necessarily have to be accurate or authentic, Slavish. it's yeah. exciting to take those details and try to understand why, what is the meaning or what is the, what is exciting about being here, here versus there. And yeah. there, there is great too, but we're here. So what is it about New York that makes New York not Boston? And I mean, that's yeah. kind of great. And so sometimes I think that that's forgotten, but I think it's an amazing opportunity. It's, it's like cooking. I mean, why would you want everything to taste the same? So um, that's, a, that's a beautiful comment because it, the whole topic of this conversation is obviously what we bring with us from other places, but it's not to rub out what we have here. No, but what I like to do is sometimes I travel, and depending on what I'm working on, I'm looking for the New York the New Yorkness or 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 the house in East Hamptonness in Ireland. You know, so I'm definitely sometimes traveling. I'm basically shopping, but traveling to look <laughs> to look for details for a specific project. And obviously, there can be details that I don't know where they go or what they're for, and maybe they'll be used some other time. But there's definitely like shopping and what's weird about that is that you go to faraway places to find something that feels familiar but it's just a little bit of a detail a little change in the detail that makes it exciting well or the setting because the thing we remember that the double height kitchen yeah in that irish house there was a, a kitchen that had like two to three spaces but was what was wonderful about it, it was an early 19th century house and it was a double height kitchen and you looked up and you've seen that industrial strength skylight probably late 19th century, early 20th in every building in downtown New York you've ever been in. Yeah, and I told Do you Mitch. you think it was so tall to let the heat go up? Absolutely. And I told Mitch, oh, don't worry. If you forget any of these details, you'll see it in about two years in Bedford. <laughs> <laughs> also, specifically, small details like, you know, not a card table and not a facade, but the hardware or a chair rail or a staircase rail, there's such great fetishistic pleasure. You know, not just the context and not just the beauty of the house, but just, God, I love that object. Look at that. Well, there's that. There's so virtuoso. Yeah, there's that. And then there's these people that live these extraordinary lives in these beautiful houses and the way they stack their firewood and the way they uh -huh. hang their dog leashes and the way they have their liquor put out on the console in the front hallway. It's just like, it's just crazy. I mean, you look at all that stuff and, and you come back home and you bring all those references back as well. Those are references of style and living as opposed to actual moldings or architectural details or you know, I'm I'm always looking at how did they set the table? How did they do the flowers? Yeah, um, you're right. How did they stack those peat logs in Ireland? Exactly. And why can't we have that? <laughs> exactly. I ordered some the minute I got back, by the way. Amazing. Well, I'd like to thank you all very much for coming and talking today. Alexa Hampton and Stephen Gambrell talking about details and their impact on their work, interiors, architecture, and products. Thank you thank very you, much. The ADS Theat is produced and edited by Diane Dragon and Emma Wartzman. Music by Circus Marcus. All rights reserved by Condé Nast. 
To reach us about this episode or any other episodes, find us on social media at ArcDigest or email us at letters at ArcDigest.com.